Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Open your Bibles, if you will, to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Now, I, I told First Baptist this morning that this was a, a just an overview, 50,000-foot message, and I'll come back in a couple of months, and I'll, I'll do this more and more detail. And then I wound up not, and so I got to like the first part of the message. And so I'm just going to do the same thing here today. I'm going to tell you it's going to be an overview, but it's really not going to be. So uh, this will actually be a two-parter probably next week and maybe even a third-parter. But here's the deal. I have been, um, the last couple of years... Really a couple of years, and you're going you're gonna to kind of do one of those, well, duh, how hard is it? But the last couple of years, I've been trying to answer the question, what does the church want from me? What do you, uh, uh, if, if, I were, if I were just a, a, a person who is a member here at this church, I would, ask the, I, I would ask the question, what does my church expect of me? And so I say I've been wrestling with this for the couple, last couple of years because it's really about defining the relationship between um, each other. You know, I've said this multiple times in the past, and I, and, I, and I will say it obviously again in the future, but the church is not the building. You know that. But it's sometimes hard for us to grasp the living nature of the body of Christ in, within, when it comes to the local congregation. Now, I'm going to share an example a little later on of how I saw this at work just in this last month, and it was the perfect example of who we are as God's people. But, but as the church, we're not a building, we're not a corporation, we're not an organization. We are a people. Matter of fact, the Bible uses two distinct terms to speak of the church, or, or two, two distinct pictures that, that were given, uh, amongst others. But two dominant pictures is a body... And a family. Now I want you to think about this. A body and a family. Both of those by definition are not solo acts. Both of those by definition are together. It's more than just us. And so the question I want to answer today is this. Or begin to answer. What do we expect from each other? And what... Um, what, what, what do you want from me if I'm a part of this body? Well, I go to uh, John chapter 15 because, because this gives us the reason that we ask this question. So in other words, we, we say, well, okay, why, why am I even a part of a church? Well, because in, if you're a part of a church, that means you are connected for growth and for fruit. So on your worship guide, if you have that, look on the front. You'll see a picture. I think this is the coolest graphic we may have ever done. It was truly a collaborative effort. And here's how it went. Kevin, Kevin sent me the graphic. He normally will, will get, get the title and then he'll create a graphic. And then uh, actually, do, do you have the other one up there? Do the other one. The one that's on the front of the bulletin. So he'll send me a, a graphic on Tuesday or Wednesday, depending on when I, when I give him a title. Um, and he'll send it to me and go, hey, what's, it, what's this like? 98% of the time I'm like, dude, roll with it. Awesome. This, this past week, he sent it to me and I said, I'm not a fan. doesn't really excite me. It doesn't really do what I'm thinking about doing. I said, 
here, let me write, let, let me draw it, let me create it for you. Now, I know that the moment he read the words, let me create the graphic, I, I know that he went, ding, 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 warning. So I came to the office and I wrote, I drew this out. Okay, see what's on the paper? I drew it out and I, and I sent it to him and said, use this. And as gracious as he possibly, he didn't even respond to the email. He came to see me personally and he sat down and he said, uh, Jeff, are you sure you want to use that? <laughs> and I go, yeah, what's wrong with it? He goes, well, did you hire a third grader to draw it? <laughs> and I said, you know, that's exactly the point. See, I want to begin teaching the simplified version of who we are as God's people. So that you don't have to ever wonder, what do they expect from me? And I want you to be able to explain this and draw it out on a napkin at McDonald's or Chick-fil-A. We all know we go Chick-fil-A unless it's Sunday. And then and to be able to say, this is who we are as a church. And so what he, what he agreed to was, here, let me take your silly drawing and let me do something with it. And that's what you get here. Isn't that cool? I mean, he did that in like three minutes. I mean, it was amazing. You ought to see what he can do with your face on a bodybuilder's... Oh, did I say that out loud? So, trust me, we've had fun. So, so this is it. What do you want from me as a church? We're going to go to John 15 because this gives us the reason that, that we ask this question. John chapter 15, starting in verse 5, this is Jesus speaking. Now, remember, last week I said, listen, we're not going to preach an impotent, um, powerless gospel. The Jesus we preach is going to be the Jesus of the Bible. We're not going to preach that he's a different Jesus because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means that everything he's ever been is still who he is today. And so if it's in red, we're just going to believe what he said. Amen? That sounds fair, right? I mean, after all, why wouldn't we believe what Jesus said? Here's what Jesus said. These are the words of red. Chapter 15 of John, verse 5 and following. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me... By the way, branches is singular or plural? Plural. That's right. Vine is singular or plural? Singular. There's one vine. There's many branches. We get it wrong. We think there's one branch and many vines. It's a whole other way around. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches, which means we're supposed to be together as branches. He said, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Let me translate that for you. A branch not connected to the vine is a dead wood branch. It's essentially dead. There's no life in it. You cannot be a life-giving person to others. You don't have life inside of you if you're not connected to the vine. How much you're connected will determine how much life comes out of you. It is a proportional transaction. You stay connected, there is fruit. You disconnect, there's a lack of fruit. You totally separate, there's no fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, this isn't rocket science. This is Jesus going, let me break it down for you. Now you know why it took, why, why you, now, I, now you know why I said you would think I'm crazy that I took so long to figure it out. 
So, Jesus said in verse 7, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So what is the purpose of the church? Why are you a follower of Jesus? You might say, well, the purpose of the church is to grow. That's, that's part of the purpose. That's an outflow of the purpose, but that's not the purpose. The purpose of the church is fellowship. That's part of the purpose, but that's not the purpose. The purpose of the church is singular. It is to worship God. The purpose of your salvation is singular. It is to worship God. Now, it is so very simple, it's hard to understand. Because we think in that moment, hey, worship means I'm singing songs. But see, worship is so much broader. Worship is so much deeper. Worship is so much thicker. To worship someone is to honor them with great honor. To give someone all of your worship means that you are giving them all of the honor that you have to give. It means that you are giving them praise and you're giving them, um, um, you're acknowledging who they are. You're giving them glory. You're, you're giving them a round of applause. You're setting them in the highest seat of your life. All of these pictures, right? So our job, our, our purpose in life is to worship God. And here's the way this works. When we worship God with all that we are, God does something in us. And what he does in us is he flows his glory back in us and through us and we begin to bear fruit that Jesus bore. We begin to mend the brokenhearted and we begin to heal the sick and raise the dead and all those other kinds of things. Now listen to me. The plan of Jesus was to come show us how to relate to the Father. His purpose and His plan for coming was to say, look, I want to show you how God planned for you to live your life. And then I'm going to provide a way so that there's no brokenness between you, you and God. I'm going to provide a way so that you can know the Father as I know the Father. And when you know the Father like I know the Father, and when you stay connected in worship with the Father... He's going to do in you and through you fruitful things. Here's what I think we get backwards sometimes. Y'all with me? You okay? Here's what I think we get backwards. I think we try to get the fruit, but we forget to root. So we're focusing on the fruit instead of focusing on the root. Here's the cool thing. If you will root, you will automatically fruit. But if you just try to fruit... Without the root, you won't get fruit. You follow me? Let's say it this way. If you want a fruit, you got a root. If you root, you're going to fruit. If you don't root, you don't fruit. Root, fruit. Easy, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, that's pretty easy. I know it's silly, but here's the deal. I wanted it so easy a caveman could do it. I want it's no, no offense to cavemen anywhere. I'm just saying. I wanted it so easy that a third grader could say, look, this is why I'm here. I'm here to give God worship. Every word of worship in one accord. That was for Santa, by the way. I picked that out just for you, dear. 
Because every day I hear that song over and over and over and over. She's, in the, she's just constantly, she's playing that. She's actually, she doesn't know, it, but she's juking down the hall right there. It's pretty cool. But that's true. Every word of worship is to the Lord. So here's the problem. You and I, have, we were made to worship. We were built to worship. God designed us to where we live our best life through worship. I got to tell you, some of these books have got it all wrong. Some of these books, the goal is the prosperity. And prosperity is not the goal. Worship is. See, when you worship, it doesn't matter what you have or don't have. You're good. Your soul is satisfied. When you truly worship God, all the things in this life that are so important now, they become very dim. They become faded. And you're like, eh, okay. There's a satisfaction that can only come through this kind of uh, life-altering worship. Jesus said multiple parables about this. One of them that he said was this. He said, it's like a man. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like this man who went and was digging through a field. And as he was digging, he, he hit something hard. And so he dug a hole a little deeper and he found a treasure of great price. He looked around. I'm adding a little bit to this, by the way. I'm just filling out the story. He said he, he looked around and wanted to see if anybody noticed that he had found this. And he noticed nobody did. And so he buried it again. He got on his motor scooter. And he went all the way back to his... That was my part, by the way. He got all the way back to his house. And when he got to his house, he collected everything, put out a sign in the front of the yard and said, Yard sale today. Everything must go. And he sold everything that he owned, including his house. And all he wanted was not the value of the stuff. He just wanted enough out of his stuff to be able to buy the field. Because in his mind, he recognized that that field held a treasure of such great price that nothing that he owned could compare to it. So listen to what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying this man recognized value. And because he recognized value, everything else became pale and faded. But here's what we do, folks. We spend our life on faded things. We spend our life with broken things. We spend our life on things that don't give the satisfaction we expect out of them. They don't give the the, the hope that we thought they would give. And then we're disappointed with our life and wonder, how come this thing's not working out? I can tell you why it's not working out. Because Jesus said, if you remain in me, and if I remain in you, oh, by the way, he will remain in you if you remain in him. Because he said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. He said, if you stay in me, if you worship me with your life, you will bear much fruit. You ever planted a a plant? I've told you these stories before. But you ever planted a plant, a garden or something, and expected something from it? And you go out and you realize that, hey, you're getting nothing out of this and putting stuff into it? You ever notice that? You go out and you buy the potting soil, you buy the mix, you buy the, the uh, whatever you put in it. You buy the plant from Walmart, you stick it in the, in the thing, and, and you wait and you wait and you wait, and it's, and it's no fruit, so you're like, ah, oh, this is horrible. So you know what, I'm just, I'm just not ever going to do this again. The next year you try it again, and eventually you just give up. How many of y'all had that experience besides me, right? You know what I discovered my problem with gardens are? I want to do a, a Ronco. I want to set it. 
and forget it. My gardening is like this. Get all excited. Get it in the ground. Weed it a little bit. Water it every now and then. But I want God to make it grow. And then I'm mad because I don't have fruit. Which tomatoes, consequently, are fruit. I don't think that's actually logical. I know you, you fruit people will tell me it is. But here's the deal. Is salsa a, a slushy? Or a smoothie? Then it ain't fruit. Okay? <laughs> so, sorry, I just a little... What the heck was I saying now? Dang it. You remember what I was talking about earlier? Yeah, so, so you, you, I, I want to put, put minimal effort into the garden, and I want a bountiful harvest. Y'all get the point, right? Listen, folks, you know that's common sense. You know that makes sense. You know the truth in that. And yet many of us live our spiritual lives putting minimal effort into it, expecting great reward out of it, and we wonder why we're not getting what we want. Amen? So, root and fruit. The very nature of a tree... The strength of that tree is in the roots. The, the support of the tree is in the trunk. And then the fruit comes from the foliage up on top with the branches, right? In order for us to be fruitful in our life, we've got to dig deep roots. And again, it's directly proportional. Your root will determine your fruit. You say, well, wait a minute, it's the strength of the branch. No, the strength of the branch is determined by the depth of the root. All the time. There's a tree out in front of the church building over here. Have you seen it? It's about ginormous size around. You can't, you can't hug your way around it. Do you know how long that's been there? It's been here since before we started here. and We started here 60-something years ago. I'll bet you that tree is over 100 years old. Easy, wouldn't you say? A couple hundred years old. Do you know how many storms have come through here in a hundred years? We got Ivan. We had Camille, right? Was it Camille? We had all, we, we've had a ton. We, we, think of it this way. That tree likely was there when, 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 um, when, uh, well, I was going to say when Deluna came across, but that probably was a little more than that. But, but it was, it's been there through all of the thick and thin of weather, and it stayed there. Why do you think it stayed there? Because it has rooted. So how do you root? How do you remain in Him? The first thing is by Sunday morning. I'm asking you to commit... To worshiping faithfully with your church body every Sunday morning. You say, well, gosh, that's an awful big ask. Well, it's really not. Think about it. Sunday morning is the only time that together we all can come together and worship without interruption. I mean, we have Wednesday, we have some special things, but on a regular basis, Sunday morning when we're together, we are fulfilling the picture of the body of Christ. I want to show you two verses 
that, that illustrate the meaning and the reason for us coming together. If you will, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Now, i got to tell you, for, for a while there's been a... Uh, a, uh, a a devaluing of the gathering of people. And the devaluing has largely come from preachers and from, from Christian writers. And I get their point. Their point is, if we come and worship and go home, we're not fulfilling the purpose of the church, and they're right. So the, what, what has been written and has, has, has started to happen was, instead of coming, let's just go do. But here's the thing. We're not commanded just to go do. We're commanded also to come worship. And when I say worship, it is including songs. It is including God's word. And it's including praying. And it's including the fellowship of one another. You say, well, they didn't do that in the early church. Actually, yes, they did. They absolutely did. They got together daily. Now, they were, they were in smaller groups mostly. But here's the deal. They were in smaller groups for two reasons. One, there might have only been five or six believers in a city. So obviously, they're not going to rent the Colosseum to come together as the city church. But all believers in the city would come together. As they grew, they also had to be a little cautious because when persecution broke out, they couldn't do what we get to do here. They, in China today, there are, 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 are churches that are meeting where people will go hours and hours and hours to a secret place and they will meet and they will worship and then they'll go hours and hours and hours back home because the government, if they know that you're there, will very likely come in and arrest the pastor, burn down your house and do all kinds of things. Same thing with India, same thing with some other countries. Here, we have absolute freedom to come together whenever we want and yet... We treat it as if, eh, maybe today, maybe not. We have gotten to the point where we, have, we, where we start to treat the gathering of God's people as, a, as an extracurricular activity. Not quite as important, but, but I just want to ask you. If you were God, if you were God, which we're not, but if you were God, and you looked at your own life and the, and the value you place on meeting together, would you assume that there was high value in corporate worship or low value in corporate, corporate worship? Okay, now look at, if you were God, look at your own life in corporate worship compared to the time you spend doing other corporate things. I hear this all the time. Well, my son committed to that baseball team, so he's got to be there. You just told me everything I need to know. Amen? What the parent is saying is, he made a commitment to his team. His team is playing on a time when we worship. Therefore, he needs to fulfill his commitment to his team. That's fine. That's fine. But hear what you're saying. His commitment to his team is more valuable than his commitment to the people of God. Amen? Now look, this, I'm not casting stones, I'm not condemning. In fact, I, I'm simply telling you, I'm telling you what's hard to tell you. Because I have to do this in my own life. 
But here's the deal. When we place anything else in a higher priority than gathering with God's people, we are saying to our families and we are saying to our neighbors and we're saying to everybody else, we have a priority in our life and the the people of God are not the priority. They may be important, but they're not most important. You say, well, my team is important. Yes, it is. But guess what? Your team isn't helping you any for eternity, are they? Your team is probably not the place where you're going to find the hope or where you're going to find the help when you have drastic surgery, when you have major conflict. Your team is not probably the ones that are going to come around you and say, hey, I'm going to walk with you through thick and thin. I will be with you. You can call me at any hour of the day. You can, you've got my, I, I, I'm there, I'm with you. You know, we say team, it's easy to pick on. But just put anything, your club, your, your, your sport, your hobby, whatever. Guys, listen, every single Sunday during snapper season that it is one foot or less, I look at that and I say to myself, you know, they give us 13 days to catch snapper. Two or 20 days. Two of those are Sundays. You got to work during the week. And so that essentially gives you like this many days. But here's the deal. I, well, I found that when I put my life in order, my life is actually in order. When I put my life in order, God does what he says he will do. And he says, look, you honor me with the first fruits of who you are with the first fruits of your life, and I will provide all these other things. I can tell you, not many people catch more fish than I do on my boat. Now, some people do, but not many. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying God has provided for something, just a hobby, but he's provided in ways that I don't think he would have necessarily provided had I chosen to be unfaithful. Does that make sense? Now look, that, that's, that's, uh, that's not the Bible I'm, about my fishing, but I'm saying, and, and it's not like God cares about fishing, but I think He does care about us. And I think He does say, you know what? You've honored me. I'm going to multiply the, 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 the work of your hands, and I'm going to bless you, and I want to remind you that you never, ever, ever go wrong honoring me first. So this passage right here, did I read it already? Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 23, 24, 25. Here's what it says. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is what? He is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What's he saying? He's saying, let's not give up meeting together. Why? Because it's when you meet together that you are able to be together as the body. You can spur one another on towards good works. You can encourage one another. You can bless one another. And it's not necessarily just for you anyways. If you are part of this body, you are part of the body because of what you have to give, not just what you have to take. The very definition of a body means that without my hand, I can still live life, but my life is going to be impacted. Without a leg, I can still live life, but my life is going to be impacted. Right? 
Without a kidney, I can still live life. But, but God built us to be together as a body to where the fingers and the toes and the eyes and all of us work together. And together, it's a beautiful, awesome thing. And here's what happens. When the body chooses to show up or not show up based on what's going on with the weather, based on what's going on on the outside, the whole body suffers. I need you to hear me with this. The whole body suffers when you don't show up. You say, but that's not true. It is true. Otherwise, God's a liar. Here's what the Scripture says in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Now there's a reason we worship the way we worship. When we do corporate worship, there's a reason we begin with music. And there's a reason we have times of prayer. There's a reason we have, have things that are encouraging and, and lift, uh, lifting each other up. There's a reason that we have a message. It's not because we just go, hey, what are we going to do for this hour? It's because these are all biblical things. Listen to what Colossians chapter 3 uh, verses 16 and 17 says. It says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another, ready for this, with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Do you know that when we start with, 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 with music, it's not just a warm-up? It's not just like a precursor to the real stuff? It's not like a time filler just to get people in? It's not like, hey, let's just do a few songs so people can come in and then we'll get to the good stuff. No, the moment we start, the very first beat, we are engaged in what God says is a holy thing. Encourage one another. That's not us singing to you. Well, I mean, it's part of it, but it's you singing to the person next to you. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship in one accord. I mean, you are singing next to the person, encouraging the person. Think about it this way. You come in, you're having a pretty good day. The other person comes in, and man, their life is coming apart. They're, 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 they're in the trenches, and they sit next to you, and they're there. And as you start to sing, your voice is being heard by that person. And it's motivating them and encouraging them towards the goodness of God. And something starts to change inside. And they start to have hope and they start to have life. And as we sing, we're singing to God and we're singing to each other. Have you ever realized that? We're not singing just to sing. Here's another thing. It, it, again, all these books, they come out. Um, there's this, there, there was this thing against singing. Not against it, but it was, hey, let's do less singing. I want to do more singing. Here's why. Any group of happy people sing together. Test it. Is that true or not? You go to a high school graduation. How do we end the graduation? Singing. Together as a group. Everybody together, right? You go to a football game. 
What happens spontaneously in the football game? Singing. You go to a military base. These guys and girls are running down the street. What are they doing? They're singing. You go to a bar. What are they doing? I don't know. I've never been. But I'm just saying, from what I see on Cheers, they're singing. That's what Norm says. Think about it. We don't sing because we sound good. We don't sing because it's just an, a time waster. We don't sing just because. We sing because it's, it's the one thing we can do together, saying the same words to a tune that changes us on the inside and brings us to a point where we're saying, God, you are worthy. There's nothing like the power. There's nothing greater than the power of corporate singing. Here's what's happened though, and part of it's the church leader's fault. We've made singing, the singing portion of worship, more of a concert and a spectator sport as opposed to a congregational group activity geared not only to God but towards each other. We turn down the lights, we put the fog and the smoke, and we do all kinds of fancy colors and all this kind of stuff, and we say, y'all put your attention up to the stage because they're about to blow you away with some amazing guitar solos. Am I right? I hope you'll notice that we do minimal show on stage. Just enough, hopefully, to pull your attention so that you'll be engaged in the the opportunity to sing to a living God and to a hurting person next to you. I want to say to you, church, that if all you did... If all you did was say, from here on out, I'm going to come and worship on Sunday. That would get you light years ahead of where most professing Christians are currently. Here's how I know that. You want to know what average worship attender or or a, a regular church attender used to be? It used to be if you only missed once a month, once or twice a month, you were a regular church attender. So like if you missed three or four or five times a month, you were like an irregular church attender. But if you only miss once or twice a month, that's like a Wednesday, a Sunday, a Sunday night. You just had one or two few times that you had work or you had to travel or something and you weren't there. You were considered regular church attender. You know what it is today to be a regular church attender? Two times a month, any service. Tell me something. This, could, this, this is going to sound harsh, but I promise you, this isn't condemning or judging. I'm just telling you the truth. Because if we say we want to follow God, if we say we want fruit, then we must say, what is it going to take? If you went to the gym twice a month, how would you look? She would look like me. I've gone twice in the last eight months. What if you dieted? Two meals a month. Like your midnight snack, you're like, oh, I'm just going to eat a little bit of pizza because I'm on a diet. Right? What if you disciplined your kids two times a month? And the rest of the time, just say whatever. What if you showed up for baseball practice or football practice or band practice or whatever practice it might be or or, uh, skydiving practice or uh, whatever? Polo practice, chess club practice, whatever. What if you showed up 
like twice out of every ten meetings. How, how would that be perceived? See, here's the thing with the church. We want to come when we want to come. We want to do what we want to do. We want to, we want to experience and, and, and we, want to, we want to have an awesome time as long as there's not something else going. But then we go, man, I just don't feel connected. I just don't. I just don't. I just don't feel like I'm getting much out of the church. Hey, they were. They 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 treated that other person so much better when they were sick than they treated me. Here's the deal. You get out. Say it with me. What you put in. Is there anything in life that doesn't follow that rule? You don't discipline your kids. You get undisciplined kids. You don't put good food in your body. You get a body that looks like it doesn't have good food. You don't work out of the gym. You have a body that's not fit and trim and a mean green fighting machine. You don't study for a test except for once or twice a month. You fail the test. Yet at church we go, oh, it's okay. It's just church. It's just church. But you see, I, I worship God best on the beach. You know the problem with that? It's all about you. All about you if that's the case. Can you worship God on the beach? Absolutely. But if that's all you do, that's a solo sport and that's not the gospel. You basically are going against what God has said is his design for his church. You say, well, yeah, but I, I get together with other believers. Okay? When? Well, we get together at work. Okay, that's great. What do you do there? Do you worship? Do you pray? Do you study the scripture? Do you do, you do the sacraments? Do you baptize each other in the bathroom? <laughs> See, that's the thing. We've, we've made the body of Christ a buffet. We just take what we want. And we leave what we want. And we say, oh, I'm here. Come on, feed me. Feed me. I'm just not getting fed. I'm just going to go back to the beach. Listen, worshiping on the beach is an awesome thing, but that's the third route, not the first route. I'm going I'm to finish up on this, but here, I need to. Here's the deal. Every time we gather, God has something for you. Every single time. The thing, and, and, and the thing that breaks my heart more than anything else is knowing that God has given a word for His people. And His people don't hear it. It would be the same as me taking a pile of cash, digging a hole and going, we could do some good. I'd much rather give it to somebody. You say, well, why is this so important? Because I, I listen to YouTube and I get sermons on YouTube. That's awesome. But here's the deal. You listen to sermons on YouTube most likely because it's what you want to hear. You search, how do I know God? How do I make friends? How do I understand the Bible? Whatever. So, so you are directing your own search on YouTube, right? There's nothing wrong with that except that... We're only going to search for what we want to hear. 
I would say to you that if you're part of a body, God knows what you need to hear. Not just from me, but from the person next to you. When you walk in the door, somebody says to you, hey, how's such and such? Or, hey, God told me to tell you this or whatever. And, and it's God pouring into you through the lives of the other people around you in such a way that you go, wow, that's exactly what I needed. Here's what's really, really amazing to me. Every single Sunday, with very few exceptions, I have somebody say, man, that message was for me. And I would love to, to say, you know, I was thinking of you when I, when I, when I prepared it. But I can't. God was thinking of you. God was thinking of you when he prepared it. I got to tell you something. Last week, when I was done preaching, I stepped off and I went over here and I sat down. And these, these were my exact words. I said, God, I left it all on the field. I got nothing left. I was absolutely, completely exhausted. You say, well, how is it possible just talking? Because there is a spiritual transaction going on. Hebrews chapter 13 tells us this. It says, obey and respect your leaders and authorities because they keep watch over your soul. There is a spiritual authority that happens when you are within the body of Christ. And the authority means there is a great responsibility upon those who are charged with leadership to watch over your souls. It is the one who rejects leadership that says, I don't need you to watch over my soul. I got news for you. The Bible says, yes, you do. Because anyone who doesn't need someone else to watch over their soul is one who cannot submit to the authority of Christ. Because God built a system that where He watches over us through under shepherds. I don't know if that makes you mad or not. i got to be honest, it's a whole lot easier not to say that. But I would be sinning against God if I didn't. And I don't want you to believe me just because I'm saying it. I want you to believe what God's Word says. Hebrews chapter 13. Go ahead, and, go ahead and turn there real quick. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, so that, uh, for that would not be of benefit to you. Every single week, as we as leaders prepare to, to encourage you and to feed you and to, to teach you to feed yourself, it is a labor of love. And we do it not because we have to. We do it because we feel great responsibility under God. So we're going we're gonna to end it right here. And we're going to pick up the rest of it next week. But if you want to bear much fruit, you're not going to bear much fruit if you're separated from the body. You can't. Because Jesus didn't build a branch. He built a tree. He didn't build a single person. He built a family. It's always been that way. I have to tell you, 
We haven't always succeeded. There are so many failures that I, I, it, 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 it pains me to think about it. But just because humans have failed at times doesn't mean you should throw away everything that God has said is holy. So here's, here's the ask, okay? Root yourself in worship with the family each week. Go ahead and decide when you wake up in the morning or, or before you go to bed. Hey, tomorrow, doesn't matter what the seas are. Tomorrow, it doesn't matter what's going on. Yeah, I've got a commitment to my team, but guess what? I've been a part of this team longer than I've been a part of that team, and that team's going to end in about two months anyways. Well, they can't do it without us. Yes, they can. I promise you, you are replaceable. But here, if God has put you here, that is a holy transaction. That's a holy transaction. Not only do you lose, but we lose. You say, well, every Sunday, should I get something? Well, every Sunday, it builds upon itself. And week after week after week, you find that God has been working in you and moving in you, and He reveals to you His marvelous plan. But it's hard to see that without consistency. Amen? So was this hard to hear? Was it hard? Now, it's easy for me because, well, I, I, I have to be here, right? But you know, the truth is, I would still make the decision. Here's why. Because I believe that God said to. That's why. So, yeah, sometimes you've got to be out at work. Yeah, sometimes they're extenuating. I, I get that. I'm not talking about being legalistic. Don't be legalistic about it. Don't do that. Just be faithful. Just show up. And show up with a heart willing and ready to both learn and to serve. And I promise you, faithfulness in that will begin to produce fruit. Uh, Studies have shown, I just read it, that the single determining factor of, of whether a family will come to faith in Christ is not if the kids come first and it's not if the mom comes first, it's if the dad comes first. Daddy's in this room. If you aren't committed, your family may likely not be committed as well. That's not a a rule. There are exceptions. But at the end of the day, dads, it's your responsibility to lead the way. That's tough. But it's good. All right, so um, I want to end with this story, okay? Tara, can I share? Okay. (laughs) You want to share? Okay, come on. <laughs> Didn't have to ask you twice, did I? Were you, were you sitting there about... I, I knew it. I just... Let me get you a mic, okay? Here you go. Go ahead and make sense of it all, will you? <laughs> okay. Um, seriously, I'm sitting there trying to process how I can get this point across to you guys. I've done both. I've been at this church for eight years... I came when I wanted to at first, I served when I wanted to at first, and I didn't get much out of it. I left the church because I felt like I was not being fed. I was everything that you just preached. And my kids came, and it was a, it's been a journey. It's been a really journey. 
Um, when I came back to church, I decided to put in what I wanted, and I wanted to be the change I wanted to see. I won't tell you all the things that I do, because it's not about me, it's about God. And I literally teach uh, middle school, Sunday school, and our, our lesson today was on using the gifts that God gave you to serve the church. What gifts has God given you? And that's how I live my life. Well, um, a couple weeks ago, it's been four weeks exact, I almost died, <laughs> literally. I had a stomach ache. I went to a doctor. He told me I had a stomach bug. Well, I had a hole in my appendix and it had been leaking for three days. I was septic and almost passed away. Um, because of one of the things that I do to help my kids serve and be part of it, I go to Dairy Queen every Tuesday to meet um, while they have Bible study led by our youth interns. Brent, Pastor Brent and I meet and have our own Bible study. Well, I texted him and said, I don't feel good. <laughs> I'm not coming today. And he said, why don't you come to the church and pray? And so I drove to the church even though I could hardly move and they met me out front. Curbside prayer really should be a thing. <laughs> it really should. Um, they prayed for me, and as they prayed, I got worse. And because God knew I was stubborn, I was going to go home and go to sleep because I thought I had a stomach bug. If I had, I would not be here. So the beauty of it all is the minute I got to the hospital, my church drove me. My kids, I never once had a question who was taking them home. My, my, my husband and my mom were both working. I had no family that could come. But my church family was there without a question. My church family held the bag while I threw up. I mean, they held my hair. They prayed for me. They got me to the hospital. They stayed with me. I woke up. They asked me what family was there to sign for me to have the surgery. And I said, I have family in the waiting room. And they came back and they said, no, like blood family. You don't have family in the waiting room. And I was like, well, my church family's out there. Somebody will sign for me. But so they brought me meals. They loved on me. I knew that I was covered in prayer. I knew that I had a team of people praying for me. I knew that I had a team of people on their knees begging God to save my life because I almost died. And I was amazed when I came out of it because I was like, this is what the church is. This is what it is. Y'all, I I have grown up in this community. I work in this community. My kids have grown up in this community. I know a lot of people. I have a lot of social circles. None of them were there. None of those people were there. And I'm like, what's the difference? What's the difference? I love those people. They love me. And the difference is Jesus. Hmm. The church lives for Jesus to serve him with the gifts that he has given them in their heart to serve one another. You can come to church every Sunday and say good morning and go home. You can do that. You can get a great message and go home and take it home for the week. Yes, but you will not be transforming. You will not have fruit until you let people in. I tell my youth girls, when you separate yourself You have put yourself in a prison, and you have kept yourself separate from the blessings that God has for you. When you open that prison door and walk out and allow people into your life as an introvert with trust issues, trust me, it was hard. It was really hard to let y'all in, and I am so thankful I did. I am here today because I did. My family has been blessed beyond measure because I did, and I challenge you to be more let people in. Let Jesus transform you. Let him bring to life the fruits that you can have to serve others. So the days that I go to work, I don't question if there's fruit. I don't question it. I know that he's working in me because of you. So thank you. Guess I should have just let her preach preach in the first thing, huh? So uh, it's time to wrap it up, but I just want to encourage you. Just make a commitment. Just make a commitment to the person next to you. I will see you next week. It's hard sometimes. But it's worth it. Because God is in the midst of this place. Father, I pray for your people. I pray 
that with all the kindness and all the gentleness and all the love that you have for us, you would correct us where we need correcting. You would discipline us where we need discipline. You would comfort us where we need comfort. You would give us courage where we see you're calling us to something greater than ourselves. Father, I pray that that you would begin to open up our mouths to sing to you and to sing to each other. God, I pray especially for the ones in this room today who are disconnected. And Lord, some of them are trying so hard. But it's been difficult to to find that relationship. God, I ask that you would not let them give up. And I pray that the rest of the church would recognize that we cannot just talk to each other. We've got to be open to anybody who walks through these doors. Father, your heart must break so deeply for a person to come and go. And I've never felt a connection. Father, my heart is deeply wounded by that. So yours must be so much more. God, I pray that you would change us today. In Jesus' name. Find out more about First Baptist Church, go for-